0: Welcome to Vitalnomics, the Church Vitality Podcast, a digital arm of the Church Vitality Network. I'm your host, Gary Moritz, and joining me will be today's voices in church revitalization and renewal. This is a place to find spiritual health, active leadership, and finding legacy over longevity. No matter where you are on the revitalization journey, God is writing your story through His church. He's called you to do it. So whatever you do, don't quit. Reach out and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus if you find this episode helpful share it if you have some helpful insights on revitalization let's share them on the show now let's get into today's topic blueberries lobster lakes pine trees popovers and church revitalization sounds awesome huh well i'm talking about the beautiful land of maine and one of the things i love to do is talk with pastors who are turning churches around in New England, but particular in Maine. And it's about doing the hard things in the hard places so that Jesus gets the glory. I have with me today on Vitalnomics lead pastor Josh Presley from Lakeside Community Church in North Maine. What's going on, Josh? Yeah. We're living it
1: up here in Maine, just waiting on summer to arrive. Yeah I
0: think I think summer for you last year was on Friday I'm not sure
1: Ex- Yeah it's usually it's usually we wait for it and then that day <laughs> we get outside as quick as we can
0: That's right <laughs> Wow, man. So I know a little bit about your story. How You kind of came up from Tennessee where you spent a good portion of your life and you went to college in Wake Forest, which is pretty awesome. And so God called you up here. So why don't we talk about your story? Tell us, like, how did you wind up in Maine from beautiful Tennessee to beautiful Maine? How did that even happen?
1: Yeah, it actually is kind of a crazy story. So, yes, born and raised in East Tennessee I went to two colleges there and then went to Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina for a seminary. And on my second year there, day one, I met a girl and I asked her name. And then within three months, I asked her to marry me. And so we were married one year, one month later, got married. And then one month after we got married, a tragedy struck. Her mm-hmm. aunt up in Northern Maine, passed away. And so her aunt was like her second mom. And so when she passed away, she left behind three little girls, ages three, nine, and 11, and a husband. And so my wife just immediately kind of sensed a call to go serve them. And at first I was like, no, we're staying here and finishing my degree. And then the Lord just moved pretty mightily. And so a couple months later, we moved to Northern Maine, a place that I had never seen or been to. Right, Pretty crazy. (laughs) And uh, on the way, we found out about a church revitalization that had actually begun. And so we came on board there, and we ended up staying there for 10 years, serving uh, serving as lead pastor in different capacities as
0: well. Wow, that's great. So 10 years, that's that's pretty awesome. Most pastors don't stay that long. So I want to congratulate you publicly for staying 10 years, and I'm sure we'll get into some of the good things, bad things, and the and the ugly stuff. But um, that's going to happen in churches. So it's great to— uh, have this conversation with you. As we're talking about revitalization, particularly in Maine, you know, where we serve in New England, we're literally a two to 4%, what missiologists would call unreached people groups. And kind of, we are in a spot where the fabric is uh, not necessarily there uh, as it might be in the South, where kind of people have a, uh, a Christ haunting, if you will, um, in the South. Whereas up here, it's just kind of obsolete. Most people aren't thinking about it. And so it causes some challenges for pastoring and then also for revitalization. Why don't we talk about some of the great things that are happening right now in your church, in revitalization, in the context of New England?
1: Yeah, I, I think what's been exciting, you know, the first 10 years up northern Maine, and then we've been here since October 2019. Uh, in our, And this is our second revitalization in Maine. We've seen really a move of God. You know, because you, you mentioned the, the lack of resources, the difference of a Southern context, it's, it's hard everywhere. But here, yeah. especially, we lack resources. We've seen a move of God in a way because we've really depended on the power of prayer. Yeah. Gimmicks and all the things that, you know, I would have tried in previous that might have worked and we could have seen some results. Results don't come, in our experience in Maine, apart from the power of God because people culturally just aren't interested in being a part of something where, where uh, their lives aren't changed.
0: Yeah, that's that's one of the things I noticed about New Englanders in general. They're not impressed with degrees or, like you said, gimmicks. Uh, they just cut right to the chase. It's black and white. Tell me, you know, I'm going to see right through the truth. Like, give it to me, raw as possible, authentic, organic. Yeah, I kind of think you, you hit on that, and and I think you're right with prayer. I think that's a huge piece. And I always teach that's one of the first things you need to be doing is praying for revitalization. So have you seen prayer played out in revitalization through the people?
1: Yeah, I think we've been intentional to continue to point our people back to it. One of the things that we do is we do nights of prayer and praise where we kind of mingle music, uh, music worship along with prayer, yep. along with the scripture. So we've we've had corporate gatherings and then as well, we, you know, we take that into our life groups all the way down to our smaller groups of two to three. And it's always trying to be in the fabric of what we're doing because we found it's uh, one of the most important things, but it's the thing that we forget the most. And so if we're not intentional about it, most times we do it on a whim. It's not a focus, but that's really where we've seen the strengths of the people have, have taken to it in seasons. And so we notice have to keep banging the drum of necessity of
0: prayer and leading them to the water. That's really good. So you, you mentioned your groups and stuff like that. And so one of the things that I, I noticed is from coming from South, more D.C., but I grew up in New York, so it's like I kind of wasn't too South. <laughs> but <laughs> but 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 I think more than anything, groups are really important. Uh, Community is important. Ha- have you seen that up in Maine, like small groups, stuff like that, that thrives the best having a small group over a large group? It's really interesting, coming from the Southern
1: context, the small groups were like our big front door, and so that was our entry point to our church. So it's interesting, moving to, to New England, uh, we would invite people to our small groups first, and they would look at us like we had two heads. Right. And so we actually figured out that the way to get them, this is a roundabout answer, but the way to get them integrated into a small group was to invite them to our worship service first, because in this context, they were more able to do that. But if we could get them into our worship service, that, that became our big front door. And then integrating them into a smaller group, a life group, has really been integral to seeing the a lot of the life change we've seen uh, because of lack of staffing, lack of resources and funding, we can't hire more staff. So what we've seen vital for the people to be a part, and it was really vital for what God was doing in our leadership training as well.
0: Talk about maybe some of the challenges, because you talk about lack of resources and some struggling there. So what are some of the challenges that you see as you minister in Maine? What what does that look like? Yeah, it was was interesting to me. You know, we had always heard about spiritual warfare, but
1: for whatever reason, when we moved to a Northern context, especially where we were before, we were about 10 minutes from Canada, really far North. There was a massive amount of spiritual warfare that we experienced in the first few years. And so that was a major challenge for us. And we've noticed that in New England as a whole, spiritual warfare at a different level than we had experienced before. And so that was one of the things that drove us to prayer. Uh, The other thing that we found was a lack of results and take that in context. You know, what I mean by results is we, you know, we could do a lot of, uh, reaching out to the community, a lot of different things, but to get numbers just didn't happen in the way that we had experienced in different contexts. Right. And so that really changed our focus to be more obedience based and results based, um, you know, and that we did see consistent growth. We have seen consistent growth year after year in the churches we've served, but, um, yeah, results didn't come like, uh, we, you know, had seen in other contexts. And so, once again, driving us to a necessity of prayer, dependence on the Lord, and, or orga- really, like you said earlier, an organic ministry style.
0: Yeah, that's really good. You, you mentioned something very important, and that is spiritual warfare. And I am in total agreement with you in that. It's hard to explain, spend a lot of time just like you studying about spiritual warfare, but it's different when you actually go through it and you feel it on a level that is almost, it sounds like you're making stuff up (laughs) at a level where it's literally demonic powers that you're dealing with. I just read an article uh, this morning, Fox News just posted it the uh the haystack revival monument that is that was destroyed by the satanist um mm. and and so th- the opposition is very real and I think mm. sometimes churches treat spiritual warfare as kind of not not to go denominationally but oh that's a Pentecostal thing or that's not real or being up here, I really believe it's dark territory and and I think prayer, just like you said, is is huge because the challenge is it's not it, it's not even the stuff we can see. It's the unseen. And you know, a couple of years ago I read this is kind of old school going old school books here, but Frank Peretti. Um, you know, I was reading some of his stuff. And I was like, Yeah, I was like, I could see how that goes down here in deacons meetings and stuff. I gotta see <laughs> <laughs> Deacons meetings. I, 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 love, I love my deacons, <laughs> man. They're awesome. But but church meetings and stuff, man, you could Frank Peretti, man, I, I just I don't know how I didn't hear about him earlier, but I read that and I said, yeah, that's uh, very true. So spiritual warfare is huge. And I, I think for our listeners, I just want them to understand, like, like what what we deal with up here is not—it's not for the light of heart, to say the least. <laughs>
1: that's been our experience. It, it's a different level, and I, I couldn't agree more with what you said. Literally, uh, things that I had experienced—I heard from missionaries, their experiences and— Context like Haiti and different places yeah. where dark magic is very, uh, but in New England, it's in Caribou, we had every year the pagan uh, pagan gathering that would happen in our community. We had a, a, a coven of witches that were very public and vocal. And so dark magic, witchcraft, the occult was very celebrated. And we saw the effects of that in a, in a literal way, not just figurative, uh, literal right. demonic attack.
0: Yep, And it's it's very real. Like, I'm I'm not too far. The town next to me is Lemister. That's where they created the act, the Ouija board. Um, wow. So, so yeah. I'm like, <laughs> so it's all around me. And then a couple of years ago, during covid, we had the leader of the, one of the leaders of the satanic church uh, drive down and with a group of people and protest our church. So it's like if you've never experienced that before. Uh, it's very real. And, and that's why. I think, Josh, what you're saying is that's why prayer and and groundedness in Jesus is so important and allow the Holy Spirit to push back darkness because we can't do it alone. Yeah, it's real. It's real stuff, man. So let's let's dive a little bit more into uh, revitalization in Maine. What was when you stepped into your your churches that you revitalized? What what was the first few things that you did? What were the first you like? Let's talk about like maybe your first year. What did that look like?
1: Yeah, you're one. uh, I was blessed to have a mentor over me, my first revitalization in Northern Maine. He had been there for a couple of years, an older guy. So it was a lot of stepping on landmines and having him walk me through why they were bad ideas. (laughs) And the the Lord really, you know, because coming, I, I grew up in a Southern context and I just had this idea of the way ministry was done. And I just learned very quickly coming in, I had to actually, you know, I'd learned about contextualization. But then actually contextualizing was different. So that's the first thing, like stepping on my minds is normal. that, That happens every day, no matter what. But then actually prayer, you know, thinking through what is the area that we're in? What are their gods? What are the ways that the enemy has a hold on them? And then considering how do we now preach a gospel that's relative for them? Because the gospel is relative, but now how do we speak their language so that they hear it and we meet them where they're at? So that was one of the things we did coming in was just like where are we and who are these people yeah um,
0: no that's that's really good and I think with the phrase who are these people it coming from the south there's there's this fabric of understanding like the Bible and the book of Genesis and and some of these simplistic things that are more like in the the Bible belt but when you get up here it's foreign it's absolutely foreign people don't know Genesis you know, from a car, the Bible, (laughs) they don't understand what sin is. So you, you can't just throw out Romans, you know, 623 or whatever. You you just can't start quoting scripture. You actually have to explain what sin is. You have to go back. It's like almost like um, the difference between Acts 2 and Acts 17, whereas Paul had... He's speaking to a group of people who had no foundation, so he had to go back to the beginning and explain the unknown God to them. And I believe that's you know kind of our field that we're in is we're, we're explaining to people the unknown God because they don't know. This generation doesn't know who Jesus is because they're not teaching it in the schools. They're not. It's not prevalent. It's not allowed. And so you get a lot of pushback from towns and stuff when you try to even come across with that stuff. Maybe add to that a little bit. Talk, talk about that.
1: Yeah, so hundred percent. You know, we found that people in New England were, where we are in Maine, they're very cordial, but they'll tell you pretty quickly what they think. And so the major ways that we started making inroads was just by building relationships where we, you know, what we would say, where we live, work and play. Yeah. And in those in those rhythms of life and then seeking to serve people when they're either hurting or when they're in need, because in Maine, especially, it's a very blue collar we can do this by ourselves we don't need help from anybody else especially yeah. from outsiders yeah but when they were in a very hard place our ability to serve them in different capacities really opened doors for friendships and then the opportunity to lead them to hopefully a relationship with Jesus and we've seen a major movement of that and so we're always ready you know we we coach our people be ready to share the gospel day 1 or day 1000 yeah because it might you know god willing we hope it happens day 1 but like you said What we continue to find is that people—there's been a generational shift we've seen as well, because in former generations, we had a lot of atheists. And so at least at that point, you have a starting point of where to have a conversation with them apologetically about the gospel. But most people today, we've ran into so many people that are apathetic. They don't care. They They believe in nothing and they're not, they don't even want to argue. They, they just don't care what you think and that's good for you, but they don't want to talk about Mm. things of God or religion. And that's, that's been a shift I've seen in the past, you know, 14 years that we've been in new England where the next generation, there's so many, what has been called the nuns. They have no belief.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's really good. So, so let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about principles. Um, so, so my question is like, what principles, um, have you found to be successful in revitalization in the Northeast?
1: Yeah. I mean, we've
0: hit it several times.
1: Prayer, of course, is the first one. And uh, we've seen that happen on all avenues. The one I would highlight on that is leadership because uh, finding other people uh, in our state that are interested in the things of God. And, you know, one of our goals is to multiply, to plant churches and to send people into uh, for, for other revitalizations prayer has been integral for that. The next one I would say would be patience. Mm. Not trying to alliterate here, but there's no, three P's in this yeah. I'm thinking of. Yeah, patience is one because it's it's a patient work. It's 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 not a sprint. It really has been more of a marathon for us, as we just day in and day out, we're just taking steps of faith and obedience, watching the Lord. You know, the goal for us, we've moved the goalposts. You know, it's not results; it's obedience to Christ. And so every day, you know, in the South, we used to say, you know, if only one person gets saved, it'll be worth it all. And, you know, we've just changed that saying to if nobody gets saved and we're obedient to to Christ, it's worth it all. Yeah. Because results are in his hands. Yeah. And uh, the last one I would say would be pace, because uh, I almost had a couple, what would be called burnouts, just pushing too hard for too long. Mm -hmm. And so I've learned uh, the necessity of Sabbath. Yeah. I was... I was sacrificing Sabbath and it wasn't getting the rest and nutrition that I needed. And so my body started to shut down in ways that I uh, that I had to really step back and look at what is a marathon look like? You know, you've, if you're going to run a marathon, you're not going to, I'm not going to wake up today and do it. I'm going to plan. I'm going to train. I'm going to think of the principles. And so that is another thing that we've utilized to think through. How do we do this for the long haul? Not just a couple of years.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. And, and you hit on something I'm, I've been passionate about for years and that's health because I've taught for years, the mood of the leaders, the mood of the team. And if you're, if you lose your health, you lose everything. Um, you can't pastor, you can't lead your family. (laughs) Like it's, you know, you're not good to anybody, but, but talk about like, let's talk about pace a little bit. So the concept of, you know, these guys that want to jump into revitalization and they think, you know, Hey, I got a degree. I'm going to, you know, I'm coming in there. I'm going to, I'm going to change the world. (laughs) Cause I think we've all had that, that spirit in us at some point, but, is that reality? I mean, what, what's really going to happen when they step in?
1: Yeah. Most, most of the guys that I, that I run into and and I'm um, able to spend a lot of time with people who are driven do see success, but somewhere along the way, most of the people that I found, they hit a wall and that's kind of like a wake up call. But yeah, I mean, I hit the ground running a thousand miles per hour. I was going seven days a week because of the, the context we were in up North. I was, uh, you know, convocational, tri- whatever you want to say, bivocational. Yeah. And so I worked part-time. Yeah, or at, th- at first I worked full-time at a bank and at a church. And so I was going seven days a week. And after about a year and a half of that, I just hit a wall. And so what I generally find, I tr- you try to warn them and they tried to warn me, but sometimes the only way to find a hole is to step in it. And so I, I have seen that happen again and again, you know, from that, it's just like I- what I've seen to be successful is having brothers beside them and beside me, coaching me. All right, you found out what this feels like, and then then helping me think through what happened along the way. Well, I did this. I didn't have a Sabbath. Which for me, Sabbath is I turn my phone off, and I and I every time I think about something about the church, I try to you know focus on my relationship with the Lord or my family uh, for at least a twenty four hour period. So yeah, I th- I think most guys I've seen they hit it hard uh, if they're driven, which is going to lead them to success. Drivenness for sure. You have to have it. But then you've got to learn from hitting that wall and then what it looks like and then thinking through the principles that brought you there. Because from my experience, it wasn't two big things that led me to burnout. It was a thousand small things that I was doing that I didn't need to be doing.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I when you step into a revitalization, there's just so much to do, right? Because <laughs> you see the opportunities, you, you're like, wow, we can do this, we can do that. And you wind up saying yes to everything. Whenever you say yes to something, you say no to something that's probably more important. And and so what I strive for, for me personally, is that every July, I literally take the entire month off to rest, to shut down. I leave where I'm at, leave my context, and I just go away. And I just, it's just me and God, literally, Mm. um, you know, my wife is amazing, and and she says, you know, you, you you need to do this, and so I'll usually go visit family and just kind of be that uncle, um, you know, barbecuing, taking care of like whoever, just being around family, because I think as pastors we can get so consumed with the church that we forget about everybody else, and so I think the resting thing is huge, and you mentioned Sabbath, which is I used to call people a Sabbath violator, uh, because. You know and i was one of those too where i wouldn't take off but you know on fridays and saturdays you know i built in sabbath in our church so we function from sunday to thursday we mm-hmm. do not do anything um our staff knows friday is a, a campus sabbath where we just let people be with their families take care of their doctor's appointments all that stuff saturday if there's nothing going on they don't need to be here and then Sunday's a work day. Sunday's a normal work day, but it's it's to be with the people. And then Monday from Monday to Thursday is the grind. But I want people to rest because if you don't rest, you get stressed. When you're stressed, you're not good to anybody. So, but I applaud you for for that and and that's something I think our our listeners need to hear is this concept to slow down.
1: Well, hats off to you as well because I think you're 100% dead on
0: if the leader the
1: leadership doesn't lead into it. Whatever pace we set, people will try to follow. So you leading the way on setting a precedent of rest and Sabbath, is, I think that's going to pay dividends for years to come. So, yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Yeah.
0: And, you know, as we you know we start kind of winding down here, let's, let's kind of shift into, and we talked about them a little bit, but let's talk about the pitfalls. So kind of talked about that new pastor coming into revitalization. If you could sit down with young Josh and say, bro, I need to talk to you. What what would you what would you say to yourself? Yeah, that's a great one.
1: I, I mean, I think the normal one that I think most of us know is "slow and steady wins the race." Like we've said. Yeah. I, I, what would I tell myself? I, I, I would tell myself to just be open to what the Lord wants to do, mm-hmm. because I had this preset idea of what it would look like or what it would feel like, and I would probably try to coach myself to just try to clear my docket of what my agenda was for what the Lord was going to do and actually ask him what he wanted to do and be ready for that. And just give him a blank check and allow him to do that. Because honestly, when I got to Northern Maine, we committed to come for one year. We were supposed to serve that family for one year. And we were supposed to serve in that church in the area of discipleship, college ministry, and music for one year. And God radically changed that. Mm. And at the time, uh, I was kind of struggling because I wanted to go back south and finish my degree, which I ended up finishing distance. But yeah, God radically changed it. And I'm so thankful that he did, because I felt like uh, that was like a wilderness for me, like Moses. God really stripped away so many of the things that I thought that I needed in life and replaced them with more of necessity of Jesus. So, yeah, I would coach myself, to set aside the ideals that you have and let the lord fill those in as you go forward because it's going to the journey is going to be so much better and exciting if you let the lord lead the way versus if you're leading the way of what your agenda is for jesus instead of what his agenda is for your life and his church
0: yeah that's that's good man and i think when you're younger you have this zeal and there's tons of zeal and god never builds our life off zeal he builds our life off faith and so when our zeal disappears, our faith is left and he puts us through those those challenging times. And, and I think a lot of a lot of driven guys, you know, there, there's that those high D personalities that, that want to dr- you know, drive and grind all the time. But I think at the end of the day, when we look back, I always ask myself a question, Gary, when you're 80 years old. And you're not pastoring anymore, and you're in your recliner chair with your little notebook or whatever, <laughs> eating cereal, or maybe somebody's feeding you cereal. I don't know. But I said when <laughs> I said when you're at that point, <laughs> you know, are you gonna are you gonna care about what you care about now? Uh, what's the end game? And so I've learned to kind of pull back and relax and just say, you know what, Lord, um, whatever you allow me to do, that's great, but I'm not gonna pursue it. I'm not gonna pursue for my own self gain or pursue for, because there's maybe pride in me that I want to be the guy or be known or something like that. I just kind of sit back and I let God bring the opportunities to me. And, and I, I think through that God has blessed uh, tremendously. There was a, a guy that uh, a pastor, I won't, I won't say his name cause I might get some pushback, but anyway, he, he said something profound. I don't agree with this theology, but definitely profound. He says, I don't need to hold everything. I just need to touch it. And he was talking from a perspective of, I don't need to have everything in my control. I just need to know what's going on so I can pray about it and pray for you. And I've learned the power of authority and release. And so just because I have a passion for it doesn't mean somebody else doesn't have that same passion. And if I can get behind them and champion them, I think they're going to go further faster if they have their pastor's authority and and blessing. And they'll take care of it. And I've learned to like, let things go as I sit back and I watch leaders lead. And I think that's been refreshing for me because the younger Gary would want to do everything. (laughs) And now, now at my age, I'm going, nah, I don't, I don't think I want to do that now.
1: (laughs) uh, Yeah. I I couldn't agree more about not only delegating, but giving authority. Yeah. Yeah. Giving young leaders authority and allowing them to make the mistakes you made and coach them along the way. Yeah. That's a great point.
0: So, so what? What else would you say to a a, a new pastor? Because there's a lot, kind kind of what I do in the academic world. There's a lot. There's a rise of people going for revitalization degrees. Uh, people want to pursue that because we're seeing such a high attrition rate across America, and so there's going to be a lot of empty buildings. And the issues we're having now is we don't have enough pastors to fill those buildings that are remaining empty. There's a leadership void. And so what would you say to that new pastor that may be going for their degree in revitalization? Not that you need a degree to get revitalization, but what would you say to that pastor that has all that zeal, all that, hey, I'm going to do this. What would you say to them?
1: I mean, one of the things I would tell them that I've seen great success is I prayed that God would put older, more mature, godly men in my path. And so I've had mentors and still have mentors today. You know, there's only there's some things that you can only know when you know. Yeah. And so I've got. I've got a few guys that are older than me and wiser than me that I can call, and I know they're going to give me godly counsel or they're going to tell me the truth. They're not going to tell me what I want to know, and so I I would be careful of insulating yourself with people who are yes people who are going to surround you and tell you what you want to hear, build your ego. But surround yourself with people who actually love and care for you. And those are distance for me. Those, you know, I have some that are hopefully local. But when you move to a new context, that's hard. But if you if God raises up those people in your life. A phone call a zoom call and visits those those have been instrumental so pray for godly wisdom in your life through older uh especially older guys that can pour into you and coach you uh and, and just love on you at when needed
0: man that's so good josh it's been great just sitting down talking with you i want pe- people gonna get in touch with you i'll have i'll have your stuff in in the show notes there but man thank you for just sharing your heart uh what god's doing in maine especially at Lakeside Community Church. So I just want to say to our listeners, thanks so much for listening uh, to the Vital Dynamics podcast, and we'll see you around the next time.